For some in this room, that video might really be hitting home right now. You remember the journey. You remember the excitement. You remember the pursuit of your loved one. And somewhere along the way, that has fallen off. Somewhere along the way, maybe it's gotten tough. And that's why we've entered in this series talking about marriage and how to have a Christ-centered, focused marriage. Let me ask, how many of you have ever done something foolish in the name of love? Several have done some stupid things, I imagine. We could probably could share some stories and go, I can't believe when we were in love and I was pursuing you and you were pursuing me some of the stupid things we did. When Brian and I were dating, we were students at Cincinnati Bible College, Cincinnati Christian University, which is on Price Hill of Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is known as the city of seven hills. Price Hill is one of the worst hills to be on. And so when we were on our campus there, it was like this little holy huddle that was safe and protective, but as soon as you went off campus, you needed to be guarded, and there was a street there, Glenway Avenue, that ran a long way along Price Hill area, and so I was living on campus when we were dating, Brianna was living on campus, and then she got the smart idea to move in an apartment with three girlfriends about a mile away from campus, and I didn't have a car, and so then the question came, well, how am I going to see you, how are we going to do this, we were seeing each other just on campus, and uh, I just decided, you know, I love you so much, I'll just walk. My mom's here today. She's going, oh, I don't know if I know this story or not. Well, I love her so much, I'm going to walk. Let me tell you, Glenway Avenue and Price Hill make like 25 here, Georgetown Street, makes that look like heaven. Okay? It, it's not a street you should be walking on by yourself, but hey, you're 20 years old and your brain's not working right. You know, you know the guy's brain is not fully developed until like 25, all right? So ladies, give us, give us some patience. That's true. That's true science. It takes a while for the brain to fully develop. I decide, well, I'll just walk to go see her. Usually that wasn't too bad at 2 in the afternoon or 5 in the evening. It's when curfew is coming at 11 o'clock because in Bible college you have curfew. You have to be back in your dorm and they sign you in and check you in. If you're late, you're in trouble. So, okay, it's a mile. So maybe 10 o'clock I should get heading home and it's dark out, and you're walking down Glenway Avenue, terrified. You do stupid things because you're in love, and then every noise you hear, you're jumping, and you're thinking, who is chasing me, or who's behind me? But we've all done stuff like that. We've all done crazy things. The pursuit promise is what we want to talk about today. By nature, we tend to pursue what we don't have. Especially men. For example, a lot of guys will do guys will do all sort of things to win the girl. I mean, guys will uh, by by nature are hunters, and we go after what we want. So, guys, when they're dating, I mean, they'll go to chick flicks and pretend like they love it. Oh, that was the greatest movie, honey. They they will sit and and share cards and and write letters and send nice love emails and write text messages and and do all kinds of stuff. That you as a lady think, this is absolutely wonderful. I found this man who is so great. Men will stay up to two or three in the morning on the phone calling or texting when they're in love and they're pursuing after the lady that they love. I even know people have driven two, three, four, five hours 
to go see someone for maybe an hour and say, I've turned around and gone back because I love that person so much. Why? Because we're pursuing what we don't have. And ladies, I can't share your story, but I know you all pursue as well. And we tend to do that prior to marriage. We do that, and then one day we make the kill. For us guys, it's, hey, we got the girl. She married me. And that's for some reason, something flips and changes. And you ladies are like, what happened to you? What happened to the guy that would stay up to 2 or 3 in the morning? What happened to the guy that would write me these nice notes or, or go to the chick flick movie? What happened to that guy? The one that we say we love and the one that we would stay up hours talking to, now we, through the years, grow to, to barely talk. And you've seen it, and I've seen it. You go to the restaurant, and what are we doing? And the food comes, and there's not much conversation taking place anymore. We used to be so in love and barely talk. What happened? What happened? Most of the time, what happens is we stop pursuing one another. We stop pursuing the person that God put in our lives. We stop chasing after them. And that is when all the problems start. You show me a divorce and I'll show you a couple who stopped the pursuit of one another. Guarantee it. Somewhere along the lines that fell off. Think about this. Can you name any area in your life where you can neglect it and you can see improvement? Stop and think about that for a moment. I mean, take your physical body. You neglect it and say, oh, I'm going to eat pizzas and ice creams and Twinkies and forget the exercise, and you neglect that body. Eventually, the body goes into an unhealthy zone that eventually means you need doctor's help and you need to get back on track. Or take your business. You neglect your business. Can you not uh, do market forecasting and do planning and promoting and sales and paying your bills? And, and if you don't do that kind of stuff, what happens? Your business will fall apart. You don't hire the right people. You hire the wrong people. You neglect your business and eventually you will have no business. You take your yard. And, and I like my yard. You take your yard and you say, well, let's not fertilize the yard. Ah, July, who cares about water? It doesn't matter. Oh, the flower beds, somehow those weeds will get out of there. Some of you are like, that's my yard. You're speaking of my house. But truth be told, in order to have a nice yard, you, you need to water it, you, you need to mow it, you need to, to control the weeds, you need to take care of your flower beds. But if you neglect it, it becomes a weedy mess that's dying and looks terrible. Now, if you're my neighbor, I'm not picking on you. Just take care of your yard. You know, how, you know what I'm talking about. Anything you neglect is going to fall apart. Why is it, though, that so many people think they can enter into a marriage and then, neg and then neglect it and think it's all going to become what God still wants it to be? Many times that's what happens. That's why the divorce rate in America is somewhere around 50 to 60% because we get married and we think by just being married and living in the same home that somehow our marriage is going to thrive and survive and be focused on Christ. I've got to tell you today, that's not true. That's why today I want to talk about this promise called the pursuit promise. Last week's promise was this. I promise that God will be my number one priority and my spouse will be number two. Remember we talked about our priorities and when priorities get out of line, 
then things become unhealthy. And so our priority needs to be that God is first, my spouse is second, my kids are third, my job is fourth, but we get those priorities all mixed up where all of a sudden our job moves up to priority number one or our kids move up to priority number one and we get this all messed up, but when we keep those priorities straight, God first, our spouses too, we start to develop a Christ-centered, healthy Marriage, God is my one, my spouse is my two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. Love God with everything I am, with all that I am. Secondly, love my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? My neighbor is my spouse. Many times we flip that. So keep God one, spouse number two. Promise number two that we're going to pursue today is that I promise to always pursue my two. I promise to always pursue my two. Say, where does that come from? Or last week I told you the four promises that we're looking at come right from the book of Genesis. We looked at this verse last week. Look at it with me again. Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Most of us probably heard that verse shared in our wedding ceremony. Who remembers that being shared in your wedding ceremony? Most of us, at time of wedding, that was shared. If it wasn't shared in your wedding, it maybe was shared in some pre-marriage counseling, or maybe now you started to hear, hear it, but I want us to focus on one word in there, and it's the word united. The word united, when you go to the original language, is rich with meaning in the, in the very original language. It means more than just a union. It's much more than that. It actually means to cling to or to adhere to. This word means to catch by pursuit. It means to pursue hard with affection and devotion. In other words, it's a, it's a pursuit that doesn't stop pursuing. It's not that we pursue until we are married, but we continue to pursue, we continue to cling to, and pursue and pursue on with a heart of devotion. Another way this could be read is, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, pursue, be united, be joined, and continue to pursue hard his wife and the two will become one flesh. It's a continual, nonstop pursuit. What we think of united is I walk down the aisle and I stand before my friends and my family and I stand before the church and I stand before God and I say, yes, I do. I want to marry this man. I want to marry this woman. And we think we just became united. And then we go home after the honeymoon and we think it's all going to work out. The idea in the scripture, in this passage, this word is, is it's a pursuit of united that never quits. One of the greatest examples in scripture, to me as a couple who continue to pursue, is found in Genesis 29. You want to read the entire story? Maybe put that on your growth guide there and say, I want to read this story. It's about a guy named Jacob who was crazy in love with Rachel. There is so much more in this account, but I just want us to focus in on Jacob's pursuit of Rachel. She had a father, his name was Laban, who was very wise. He said, you, he said, you want to marry my daughter? Because Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He said, you want to marry my daughter? He, here's the deal. You work for me for seven years. You serve in my business. Help me take care of my crops and take care of my land. And if you do that faithfully for seven years, then at the end of seven years, Rachel will be yours. And so Jacob, who loves Rachel, starts that pursuit by saying, fine, I'll work for you for seven years, looking forward to that day when then your daughter will become my wife. 
After seven, seven years, though, Laban, the father, pulls a little switcheroo because Jacob goes to him and says, hey, I'm ready for this. Let's do it. And he pulls this little switcheroo and says, no, 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 I'm sorry. You can't have Rachel, but you can have the ugly sister Leah. Didn't really say ugly. I don't know what she looked like. That's not true. But he did say, hey, you can have Leah. And, and of course, Jacob was like, wait a minute. I've been pursuing seven years giving my life so that I can marry Rachel. And now you're going to switch and say, here, no, you get Leah? Long story short, Laban does let him marry, but for a commitment and says, only if you work for me for another seven years. Wait, wait a minute. You're going to allow me to marry, but I also have to make a commitment. I work for you for another seven years years. And so that was the agreement. And Jacob marries Rachel, but continues to work for Laban for another seven years, 14 years working for this man in order to have Rachel as his wife. Here's the beautiful part of the story is this. They get married and Jacob continues to pursue her. He continues. He, he could have said, I'm tired of this working stuff. And he could have tried to get away from that, but dad could have pulled another little switcheroo, another kind of challenge in his life. But he kept pursuing her and going, okay, now we're married, but i got to continue to work for your dad because I love you so much. I want you to be my wife, and I want no strings attached. I want your dad basically out of our lives, and so I'm going to keep married, keep pursuing, keep working, and continue to work for her even after he had her. I promise to always pursue my two even though we're already married. I'll continue to work for you. I'll continue to pursue you. I would say all of us enter into marriage with some great intentions and then our marriage we have great intentions. For example, how many of you were here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. Last week we made a promise or, or had a challenge, a seven-day challenge. And the challenge was to stop and pray with your spouse for seven days in a row. Let's be real honest here. How many people remember saying, yeah, I, I, I thought in my head at least I wanted to make that promise? Raise your hand. Be, be bold. All right, some of you are like, I'm not going to be bold here. How many of you actually completed the challenge? A few did. All right, truth be told, most of us go in and we have great intentions but our tensions tend to fall short. We intended to fully do it. You're sitting in a message and, and God's talking to you and you're like, yeah, that'd be great. I can do that simple prayer that, that Brian talked about. I can grab my spouse's hand and say, Lord, just bless us. Or Lord, help us to keep you number one. Just a simple prayer, but it's so easy to have great intentions and they fall off. Pursuit. Pursuit of our number two. I've had good intentions about praying with Brianna since we've been married. It's one of the hardest things to do. I think it's where Satan battles us most. He doesn't want husbands and wives to pray together. He doesn't want that to take place, and so he battles us. We've stopped and started so many times, I've lost track. Our challenge, though, is to convert our good intentions into good actions, which is exactly why so many marriages struggle, because of unconverted good intentions. Because they're not completed. If you're ever going to overcome good intentions, we must pursue our number one in order to pursue our number two. Stop and think on that for a moment. If we're ever going to overcome good intentions, we must pursue our number one. Who's our number one? 
God. We must pursue God if we're going to pursue our number two. If we want to know how to pursue our spouse, we must pursue our walk with God. For example, look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14 in your Bibles, verse 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a counselor. In the passage of Scripture there, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you some help. You won't be left by yourself. And he says, I'm going to send you a counselor. And in verse 26, he says, the counselor will teach you all things. Not some things, but all things. The counselor will teach you. And so he tells us, when I leave and I go up to heaven and I sit at the right hand of my Father, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send this counselor, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you and to dwell inside of you. And that counselor, the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside, the paracolito, the one who comes alongside of you, will walk with you, will teach you, will guide you. Not some things, not partial things, but all things. And if we truly believe that, we understand that, that means, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit will teach me how to be a good dad. Holy Spirit will teach me how to be a good mom. Holy Spirit will teach me how to be a good friend. The Holy Spirit will teach me how to love people. The Holy Spirit will walk with me. That means the Holy Spirit will teach me how to be a God-centered uh, have a God-centered marriage and, and to be a, a, a God-fearing husband and how to be a God-fearing wife. The Holy Spirit will do that when we rely upon it and trust and we pursue God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So consider some thoughts with me on that. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us because we believe in Jesus. Then as you read Scripture and as you study the Word, the Spirit wants to guide you on how to pursue your spouse. And how to, how to pursue your spouse because you're pursuing God first. The best way to pursue God is to be in his word. I can't give you anything better than that. The best way to pursue God is to open up your Bible and begin reading your Bible. And studying your Bible, and even when you don't understand it, to say, God, I don't understand all of it, but I'm going to keep reading it, I'm going to keep studying it, I'm going to keep reading it, I'm going to keep studying it, trusting that you use that inside of me, and that the Spirit will then guide me, and then as you read Scripture, and then you start asking questions like, what does this mean for me as a husband, or what does this mean for me as a wife, then he starts to speak to us, verses like this, Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily, as long as, as, long as it's called today, so that None of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So you read that verse, for instance. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. So you stop and think, Lord, what does that mean for me? What do I need to say to my husband? What do I need to say to my wife? Well, maybe well, when you think of something good, say it. When you think of something good, it comes to your mind. Don't just hold on to it. Honey, I love you. And let me suggest, I love you and add a word, because. Guys, just gave you some wisdom for marriage. All right? You can say to your, you can say to your wife, honey, I love you. If you can say, honey, I love you because... And you can add a couple words onto that. Because you are such a great mom. I love you because you are so patient. I love you because you are beautiful. I love you because you put up with all my jelly beans in my head. You can add because and finish that sentence. You will really start to communicate to your wife in a way that she'll be like, who is this guy now? 
See, knowing, knowing that, that we're supposed to encourage one another, you read that verse and you say to the Holy Spirit, what does my spouse need? What do I need to, to speak to them? What encouragement do they need to hear from me? And what would really help then is to know your spouse's love languages and then communicate that encouragement accordingly. If you never read the book, The Five Love Languages, you need to pick that book up and read it. The five love languages breaks down five very specific ways that we are all made. Acts of service. Some people, the way you communicate love is you serve them. For some people, it's words of affirmation. They need to hear encouraging words. For some people, it's quality time. For some people, it's physical touch. And for some people, it's receiving gifts. Some people, I'm an acts of service person. So Brianna has learned it, and she knows that if I can help Brian with something, if I can help finish this project or get this cleaned up or come alongside and help him do something, she knows that communicates a lot of love. For her, it's words of affirmation. She needs to hear how beautiful she is and how much I love her and how much uh, she means to me. For some of you, it's quality time. You're like, just hang out with me. Just spend time with me. You spend time with me, then I know that you love me. For some, it's physical touch. Guys, that's not sex. Physical touch, just grab a hand, just sit next to me close on the couch, ride along in the car, hold my hand, sit in a church, put your arm around me. Just that little bit of physical touch. For others, it's receiving gifts. If that's your spouse, I pray for you. Because <laughs> that affects the budget. But for some people, it means go shopping and buy me another purse, even though I lost the other ten. For others, it means, hey, buy me some tickets to the game. I want to go see the cats play and win again. Look at James 4.17. Again, put this in a picture of you studying Scripture. You're reading the Bible, and this verse comes up. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So you're reading Scripture, and Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and you're like, the good I ought to do. You start thinking about something, then, then do it. You know you ought to do good for something in your marriage, the way you pursue. Okay, I'm pursuing God. God just spoke to me and he said, if you know something you should do and it's good, then do it. If you don't do it, you sin. You ask God then, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to do for my spouse? Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ask God, God, how do I lay down my life for my wife. Or ladies, ask God, God, how do I love my husband? Ask God, how do I do that? Some things may come up. You may ask God that question, you stop, and God says, you know those socks have been laying in the corner of that room for a week and a half. You could pick them up and get them to the dirty clothes basket. It could be, hey, you know, you know how to empty a dishwasher. Why don't you start helping out and empty that dishwasher? It could be, hey, don't go out of town this weekend. Your spouse needs you to stay home. And that could be speaking to the man or the wife. It could be either one. Just stay home. It could be, hey, don't sign up for that next league. You don't need to do another league. Or don't sign up for that next event and commit yourself for the next 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks to that event or to that class. Maybe just you need to allow the time for you and your spouse. It may be that God speaks to you and says, put down the phone. Just put it down. Put down the device. May I suggest that it's a good thing to put down the phone by about 9 o'clock at night? Maybe sooner. 
But really, what, what do you really have to be accomplishing as the night goes on? Why not just put it down and say, you know, I'm home. Spend time with my spouse, spend time with my kids. But anyone then who knows the good he ought to do, I don't know what God would say to you, but you read that verse and you ask God the question by the power of the Holy Spirit helping you as a counselor, what does that mean? So you're pursuing God, and then when God tells you, then you're in turn pursuing your spouse. Look at Romans 12 too. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Change the way you think. See, if you want something to be different, then be it. You want something to be different, then start living that way. We are transformed. God can transform your marriage. Quite honestly, by the stats that were told today, half the marriages in here probably are not real happy. God can transform that. God can change that. To get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. If you don't like what you're getting, then look at what you're giving. If you start pursuing God and say, God, I want something different in my marriage. You start chasing after him and quit worrying about, is your spouse chasing after him or not? You start chasing after God and you start responding because you're pursuing God. And as God then guides you through the power of the Spirit living inside of you to live and to act and to be and what to do, and you start doing that, you'll be amazed how your spouse will start to live differently. I could keep going. We could go one verse after another verse after another verse after another verse. But when you're reading Scripture, to read that Scripture and to stop and ask and say, God, what do you want from me? What does this mean towards my wife? What does this mean towards my husband? What does this mean maybe towards a future spouse? Because if you're single in here, you're like, I'm not married yet. You start praying those kind of verses and you start reading and say, God, what does it mean for the future? James 1.22 says, do not merely Listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I've learned in my years of life and ministry, the more I can live out that verse, the more blessing God gives. When I read the word and I start to understand it, I know God is directing me that I don't just listen to it, but I actually do it. Church, I want to encourage you. Pursue God first with all that you are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And as you pursue God, God will guide you then to pursue your spouse and to fulfill that promise that I will pursue my number two. Let's pray together. Father God, the pursuit of you, Lord, sometimes can be so challenging because this world screams at us with so many different things. It offers all kinds of stuff that looks good. And sometimes, Lord, all the stuff of this world just gets in the way. And so, Lord, help us to decipher through all the, the stuff of this world so that our eyes are fixed upon you, so that we're pursuing you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Help us to pursue you so that we can also pursue our spouse the way you would have us to pursue our spouse. Father, I want to pray specifically for maybe marriages in this room. They're here. They're listening. They're hearing. But they're in the middle of the struggle. God, I pray for those marriages specifically, maybe right now in the middle of the struggle, 
They'll fix their eyes upon you. The husband and the wife will, will pursue you, will chase after you. And as they pursue you, they'll see your hand at work of making a, a new work in their lives. They'll see transformation taking place. Father, I want to pray for those in this room that are single. They sit through a, a marriage series and trying to glean out some, what does this mean for me right now? Lord, I pray that you would work in their lives in singleness because some who are single, Lord, uh, as the Apostle Paul said, they use their singleness to serve you. I pray, Lord, that their comfort is in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that if you do have someone for them in the future, they will honor you as number one and pursue you as number one. Lord, I pray for marriages in this room that are strong and healthy and God-giving and Christ-centered. I pray you keep them on that pursuit. Keep them on that path. And I pray that their marriages would be examples to others how to have a healthy, God-focused marriage. Lord, each week we celebrate in communion. It reminds us, Lord, that you pursued us. You pursued us in the cross. You pursued us by giving us Jesus. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to honor you in that in this time of communion. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.